When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, it's Abu again with a small note before you start this episode. If the title didn't make it clear, this is actually part two of a two-part Fremen conversation. If you haven't listened to the first half of this conversation, go back and do that, because a lot of that is going to be referenced here in this part. In part one, we covered the Zensuni migration in great detail, and today we're going to be getting into the Fremen on Arrakis. Enjoy! Let's talk about sort of the modern Zensuni, who are now known as the Fremen people. These are the people we encounter in the Dune novels. Right. Uh, and let's talk about sort of th- their rise and their ultimate fall. And um, I think we'll we'll be a little briefer on the details in this section, because we assume this in a spoiler-filled episode like today's, you've read the books, you know some of the basics, and you don't really need us to <laughs> yeah. retread all of that history for you. So there's this guy named Paul. <laughs> <laughs> right. So once upon a time, <laughs> we just start reading the book to you and this turns into a 20-hour audiobook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like the, the the migration, of course, was certainly new to me. A lot of it was new to me, new Same. information. Yeah. So we wanted to like really get in the weeds and talk about that. But uh, sort of the modern era of the Fremen, if you've read the books, especially through God Emperor of Dune, you know a lot of what we're going to talk about, but we're going to try and weave some of the the thematic topics that we've touched on throughout uh, the, these ideas of manipulation and the rise and fall. So the modern Fremen, we meet them on Arrakis, and of, now that you know this migration and the Zensuni people's history, maybe you realize why their culture is the way it is, right? Paul meets a people who have been through so much. Right. And the, these generations of enslavement and persecution and constant flight from planet to planet to planet builds the Fremen into the culture that Paul encounters in the book. Like, the, this is the result of so much pain and so much history. Uh, and, you know, Paul over there on Kaladin and the Atreides <laughs> yeah. living their lush, beautiful lives on a water-rich Kaladin could not possibly imagine what the Fremen have been through. And again, maybe the individual Fremen is a byproduct of the harsh conditions of Arrakis, but the culture of the Fremen is still being shaped by the Sayadina, these reverend mothers who, through now interaction with the the spice melange and the water of life, with this greater context of the people and the lessons learned. So when we look at like the sieges, spread out and secret, right? What a good way of making sure that you as a people, as an entire culture, cannot be overwhelmed yeah. by saying, okay, if you found one siege, congratulations, you're going to have a hard fucking battle ahead of you because we are all <laughs> basically Sardaukar level fighters, even like the women yep. and children. Dope. Yep. And we are entrenched. And we are entrenched. So good fucking luck. But even if you did somehow through like sending tons of Sardaukar at this one siege, even if you do overwhelm this one siege, 
Congratulations. Where are the others? <laughs> you have no chance of finding them. It makes so much sense on so many levels, especially when we're looking at old Terra to Portrin, and we're talking about Portrin to the following planets. And this path leads to all these lessons learned and then implemented by the Sayadina and implemented by the Knaves, guiding the culture of the Fremen on Arrakis to be exactly what they are. Yeah, yeah. My appreciation for the Fremen, once I learned about the migration— through the roof. I, I, you know, I already thought they were an incredibly, you know, powerful, proud, self-sufficient, community-focused people, right? They're, they're a strong culture by this point in the story. But once I understood their history and their pain, I kind of experienced what the Fremen on Rossic probably experienced when the Saedina got access to their memory. It all suddenly made sense. It all, the, the dots connected, everything fell into place. And the, like we said earlier, the Fremen are not about to make this, the mistakes of their past. They are not about to be displaced against their will again. They're not about to be separated. And they're certainly not about to be overwhelmed by the Sardaukar. They're fucking ready. Right. And in addition to them being like totally prepared for all of this and finally having historical context, I think it's also important for us to kind of go back to this idea of manipulation. A lot of their current culture, the dots also connect for a lot of their traditions and culture based off of external and internal manipulations, right? Yeah, 100%. And one good example of that is the belief of something called the Hajar, right. uh, which is the, a pilgrimage to a promised land. We know, we talked about earlier in the episode, the origins of that belief. Yeah. That was the Saidina and Poritrin and the idea of the thousand questions and then our final pilgrimage. Right. Other parts of their culture are a result of more direct manipulation yeah. by people like the Bene Gesserit right. and their Missionaria Protectiva. Oh my God. There's a reason the Saidina are called Reverend Mothers because the Bene Gesserit called their leaders and called their women who can access genetic memory Reverend Mothers. Yeah. This is the Bene Gesserit sort of instilling their culture into the Fremen, into the Zen Sunni. Right, and something right. else they instilled, of course, from through the Missionaria Protectiva was this belief that becomes extremely important in Dune yeah. in a messianic savior, in a messiah that will save the Fremen people. Super fucking questionable. <laughs> Super fucking questionable. Super bonkers unethical. <laughs> you know, I'm certain something we'll touch on in the Bene Gesserit episode, but this Missionaria Protectiva for generations, planted this idea within the Fremen that a messiah would one day come to save them. Listeners, you know the story of Dune. They fully believe Paul is that messiah. It really sets up the Fremen, who have been through so much heartbreak and, and, and sadness and loss, and now this fucking kid comes in from luscious planet Caladan, just Paul, like, Paul, well, Paul. I guess I know these words, and Boom. Boom. He's the best. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, just generations of, of <sighs> building up this hype for this Messiah. But there is one other event before Paul that sort of sets sets the scene here for us. So there's, I would say, I would argue that there are two major events in Fremen Arrakis history. So we're not really migration stuff, but now like sort of modern Fremen right, right, that right. changes them forever. One is Pardo Kynes. I believe that's the correct pronunciation. Silent T. I think so, probably. So Pardo Kynes, Papa Kynes here, yeah. meets the Fremen and instills in them his own dream of a green Arrakis, right. which as, you know, as a people who are stuck in the desert living a brutal life, like, yeah, you, you'd kind of believe that. You'd want to do that. 
and Pardokine starts to instill this dream within the within the Fremen. This, of course, lays the groundwork for when this messiah that the Bene Gesserit have convinced you will come save you shows up, Paul shows up, and, uh, you know, ultimately through the pages of the first and second novels, catapults the Fremen to power and helps them realize this dream of turning Arrakis into a lush green planet. Right. And these two events, Pardokind laying the groundwork for a dream of a green Arrakis, and then Paul arriving and gaining enough power to make that dream a reality, fundamentally change the Fremen culture forever totally. and bring about their downfall. So with those two elements in play, but also kind of parallel to them, the, the Fremen education initially is like, life skills, survival training, how to best contribute to the community, keep the siege safe, you know, mm -hmm. survive, survive, survive. Yeah, definitely. And then Kynes comes along, Papa Kynes comes along, and this begins a study of uh, terraforming, basically slow and steady terraforming, where you're starting this process. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we got Paul coming in here, where you now have military and political training in order to basically utilize the Fremen as what they are, which yeah. is some of the most capable fighters in the universe, but no one knows it because they are a byproduct of their history, um, which also coincidentally Paul has access to because he's <laughs> right. the Tataract. So he, he sees that history as well and raises them up out of this obscurity now we're sort of talking about the sort of rise, the, their rise, the Freeman rise to power, and of course the uh, jihad. And a lot of this is directly Paul taking the Freeman. Yeah. You know, their, their myths, their rumors in the wind, because the guild has done its job. Well, Paul comes along and blows that secrecy apart, mm -hmm. and the Freeman become his ability to levy power on a gal galactic scale. Yeah. And thus begins the jihad. Yeah, I love that you said galactic scale. I think scale is something we need to really contextualize here. The Fremen go from a relatively small, unknown, hidden people. Yeah. They're they're not like galactic players. And now they suddenly are because <laughs> Paul unleashes them. He changes their education for his own needs here. Uh, they they start training and going to academies and focusing on military and politics rather than like desert survival, right? They get those stupid sound guns. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, from the movie. My name is a killing word. Oh no. <laughs> now it becomes we are the like you said the warhorse of the galaxy. We're the powerhouse of the galaxy. Paul has raised us up on the galactic stage. We are the strongest fighters in the world. Not the world, the galaxy. We are the strongest fighters. We need to do two things with this. And again, this is a directive that very much feeds into Paul's own desires as well. Sure, yeah. They do two things with this jihad. One is just straight up like, we we have a military force in the Fremen. Paul is the emperor. Anyone who opposes us, which people did at first, is going to get crushed. Like, plain and simple. It, it establishes his power. Yeah. Two is religious fervor and again going back to, all the way back to their zen sunni heritage the religious fervor has been a strong part of their culture they paul is their messiah he's mudip and they need to spread his religion they need to spread his word to the ends of the galaxy establish that that like religious monolith right 
Exactly. And that's what the jihad becomes. And that's what the Fremen do when they when they reach their the heights of their power. They spread the word of their Messiah and they establish Paul Muadib as the emperor of the galaxy. Yeah. Focusing on scale is big because again, we're saying they're they are the most powerful people in the galaxy. Keep in mind, this is after ten thousand years of the Sardaukar being unchallenged, completely unbeatable. Yeah. And now the Freemen defeat them soundly, easily. It's wild. And there are a few very notable battles that the Freemen win where it's millions of people defeated by 100,000 Fremen. But all of this, I don't know, general language is boring. Let's hit some straight-up numbers, some stats, some hot, yes, sexy numbers. Yeah. This is mind-boggling. So how many people <laughs> killed? Oh, oh! You were asking. I thought you were. <laughs> Who's to say? <laughs> Bugs. Bugs. <laughs> so, Damn it. How, Abu, how many people? How many people are killed by the jihad? About. We're in the ballpark, Leo, of sixty-one. Okay. Billion oh. people <laughs> killed. Yeah, that's sixty-one billion people, and these are not my words. It's These are Paul's Paul. own words. <laughs> Paul says it to, to Paul Stodar. Said that. <laughs> He's like, man, I've killed 61 billion people. <laughs> 61 billion Dang. people killed during the jihad. And there's some more stats. Yeah. 90 planets sterilized. 90 what planets. What the fuck does that mean? Sterilized is a scary word. Yeah. 500 planets demoralized. Yeah. And, and this is one that really hits me and really kind of hits that point I made earlier about the religious fervor. The followers of 40 other religions wiped out. There can be no others. There can be no others. Muadib leading the charge. Yeah. So again, those stats. 61 billion people killed during the jihad, 90 planets sterilized, 500 planets demoralized, and the followers of 40 other religions absolutely wiped out. That's fucking wild. That's crazy. Yeah, it's absolutely wild. And, you know, again, yeah. the jihad is something else where we need to dedicate a whole episode to it. We'll talk about Those it. Those are just yeah. some numbers we wanted to touch on here. Let's put a pin in that. That's definitely something we're going to touch on in a future episode, in a, yeah. in a jihad-focused episode. There's so much to unpack there. So th this, this thing that the Freemen are a part of has an external effect and an internal effect. And we've talked a lot about the external effect, right? The planet's sterilized the demoralization the people killed all this stuff the other religions wiped out mm -hmm. but internally arrakis is changing paul and his efforts he speeds up kinds plan for terraforming arrakis yep and this starts to affect the freeman culture this starts to affect the freeman who there are like the old world freeman and we see these a lot in uh messiah and children of dune yeah freeman who are still very baked in the old ways, right? Like Stilgar, who are of the desert. They've got this survival, this this raw desire to be one with the desert, that sort of terminology. But then there are new Fremen who are used to city life. They are they are plentiful with water. You know, in the in the books we get all these descriptions of they they've got the supple skin of being water bountiful or whatever. These are also Fremen who believe more in their kind of selfish pursuit of individualism and their own wealth and getting their own money versus the culture of the Fremen, which for thousands of years has been the individual is 
utterly sacrificable for the sake of the siege. Yeah. Now there are these Fremen who believe, eh, what happens to the siege happens to the siege. I want to get mine. You know, I want to get my money. I want to get my water. I want to have my own house. You know, these, it's, it's a new type right. of Fremen. And think back to Poratrin. Now that we have the full context of the history of the Fremen, think back to the last time the Zensuni people were dropped on a lush, beautiful, easy-to-live-on planet. Right. They got soft. Their culture changed. They abandoned their old sort of collective ways. They abandoned their old nomadic tribal lifestyle yeah. for a new, more quote-unquote modern lifestyle. And that's exactly what happens in Paul's new Arrakis. Right. Arakeen, right. the center of his power, becomes this giant, water-rich city. He gives these, like, lush mansions to his Fidakin, right? He he gives them this comfort that they have never had in their lives, that they have ne not had for generations stuck in the desert. And the, these new Gen X, <laughs> these new Gen X Fremen are oh like on TikTok. And Stilgar's <laughs> like, what the fuck? I walked uphill twice <laughs> just to go collect a pitcher of water and all of the all of these Gen X city Fremen are walking around in still suits that aren't even clasped shut. You know, yeah. There's a very clear divide that happens between the quote unquote city Fremen and the desert Fremen. There are Fremen who are actually opposed to what their quote unquote Messiah has brought about. Right? Some are disillusioned. Right. But a majority of them now suddenly have this comfortable life they didn't. Yeah, they're they're fine. They're happy. Right. <laughs> and and they, like this new world for them where they are the most powerful, they're in the emperor's favor, and their their original dream of making a Arrakis a lush planet is slowly coming to fruition, they got nothing to complain about. Right. And it, it's really interesting to see that, like, at first, like, even reading through Messiah, I was like, I don't know, like, what, why is Stilgar being a baby about this? Like, everything seems better. Yeah, yeah. And that's the mindset of these new Fremen, these city Fremen. Everything seems better. What is there to complain about? But it's clear that their culture is beginning to degrade. Yeah. This old culture that kept them, kept them so strong and helped them survive through so much pain and suffering, through the entirety of the Zensuni migration, through yeah. the difficulties of the Arrakis Desert— that is starting to erode. And just like on Poratrin, where they were completely and utterly overwhelmed after having gone so soft, they are once again going soft here in Paul's new empire. Then we start looking at this real decline and death, right? Man, God Emperor of Dune, I felt such genuine, and this was like the moment, and this is the mastery of, I think, Frank Herbert's writing. The words and the way he describes the Fremen, these sad pathetic shadows pathetic that's the word yeah you know so leto the second in his machinations towards this golden path and again we there is so much to talk about that we won't today but in his bans on education travel his suppression of the technical class <laughs> yeah with all of the things that leto the second's doing you know lives are becoming easier and easier on arakis and these people who have, have never known anything but struggle it's just basically begin to die out. And mm -hmm. Leto eventually declares the Fremen are an endangered species, right? The the classic Fremen that we become familiar with in the first four, the first three books. Yeah. The first three books, the Fremen that we come to know and maybe love 
and the Zinsuni, who have existed since old Terra, are endangered. They're almost gone. Yeah, think about that. That's wild. From the heights of their power under Paul's regime, 3,000-ish years later under Leto, they're nearly wiped out. Yeah. And their culture is all but effectively wiped out, right? Like, that's sort of the horrific part of reading God Emperor of Dune when you realize the Fremen are just not the Fremen anymore. Right. (laughs) They're just a, they're a husk of their former selves. And this is something that comes up multiple times in in that novel. But like the, the thing that's sort of striking to me is the Fremen realized their dream. By the time we get to Leto and God Emperor of Dune, Arrakis is a lush forest planet with plenty of water and the only desert left is leto's sort of artificial desert called the sarir that he maintains for himself imagine that right this dream that thousands of years ago those desert fremen were convinced was good like was the thing they wanted by kinds manipulated right manipulated (laughs) by kinds because kinds had this dream and he, he needed the fremen's help to do this those people's dream is now realized and that culture and those people aren't even around to experience it in fact this is the reason their culture was wiped out it's so tragic and it's something that i kept like thinking about reading god emperor of dune right i just kept going back to like i'm i feel really bad that the fremen are like barely in this book and when they are they're just like sad yeah they're they're sad and pathetic and and I think a big part of that is we're seeing the Fremen through Duncan Idaho's perspective. Yes. With very recent memories of w- living with Stilgar and working alongside real Fremen back in the height of Fremen power in the Jihad. And, you know, one of the things that's mentioned is they drink like spiced coffee, but it's not yeah. actual spice, of course, because Leto is... is you know, limiting the amount of spice. It's just cinnamon. <laughs> and they're like, ooh, which I'm not going to bash it. That's fucking legit. If you're brewing coffee, throw some cinnamon in there. Hey, there we go. It's it's solid. Still better than Bud Light Lime, okay? so oh, By a margin, still better than Bud Light Lime. <laughs> also, it's he sees it with this kind of n- nauseated sickness. Like, oh, this is, this is disgusting. Right. He's enraged. Yeah, rage. And I think I lean more into that because of the proud history of the Zen Sunni that is then lost yeah. in these husks of the museum Freeman. They're, they're, they're props. Spectacles, right? In fact, like the encyclopedia even goes into detail about sort of trying to figure out why Leto keeps them around. And the prevailing theory is Leto just sort of keeps the Fremen around for nostalgia because <laughs> He he's from it, right? You got to remember, like Leto's mom was Johnny, born and raised, and he he's from it, and he watches over three thousand years his own golden path wipe out these people that he is a part of, and uh, yeah, the prevailing theory is like these museum fremen are around, and he allows them to sort of practice these fake fremen ways for nostalgia, for sentimental reasons, and it, like that's so tragic, and I you know Idaho feels this as well, but it's. It's just appalling to see how far the Fremen have fallen from their tragic history during the Zen Sunni migration to their to their resilient and strong culture on Arrakis to their rise to power under Paul and then their ultimate decline. It's a 
it's a tragic history that takes place over many, many generations and many thousands of years. But it's sad to see the Fremen people ultimately die here and become nothing but but museum props for a giant worm man. <laughs> <laughs> what an arc. <laughs> what an arc. Who would have thought that's where we'd end up? So as we sort of close that book on the Zen Sunni path, looking back on it, uh, and, and as we sort of wrap up this episode, mm-hmm. Abu, we were talking about manipulation a lot throughout this episode. Uh, to what extent do you see that as being a factor of the Atreides and the Freeman together? Do I think the Fremen were manipulated? Hell yes. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> that, that's an emphatic yes on my part. I, I don't yeah. think there's any question in, in, my, in my mind that the Fremen were manipulated throughout their entire history from the moment they were first exiled from old Terra. There's been nothing but manipulation and abuse and persecution. Do I think the Atreides are entirely at fault here for their decline? That's a bit more of a nuanced and complicated answer, I think. I Were they manipulated by the Atreides? Yes. I, I, in my mind, that's undeniable. I, I think Paul and Jessica and Alia and Leto, every Atreides that the Fremen associated with manipulated and used them, their culture, their history, and their prowess for ultimately their own me for for their own desires to gain power for the Atreides. I think what's interesting here, like a quick side note, right. I think a, a big criticism that's lobbied against Dune from people who have maybe only read just the first book or read, I guess, read all the books and just didn't get it. <laughs> right, right. Is this idea of a white savior, right? The idea that Paul, the, the, the Fremen are obviously like, you know, desert people who have like Islamic names and cultures and like Buddhist uh, traditions. Paul, this white savior coming into the desert, becoming a part of their culture and quote unquote, saving them from the desert and bringing them to the heights of power. Uh, That's not what happens in Dune, right? Like you and I just talked about how Leto uses them as museum props. And we talked about how Paul intentionally changed their education so he could use them as a military force to establish his own power they are being manipulated by a white person by paul and if you understand the story of dune and if you frank has said this himself he wanted to sort of break down this idea of a of a hero or a messiah that can come save you and your people paul is not a white savior in fact the atreides are the reason (laughs) that the fremen ultimately decline and and uh become nothing but a shell of their former selves. Uh, I think Paul and Jessica are part of that. They go to great lengths to be accepted by the Fremen, but Paul and Jessica still don't forget the fact that they are a major house in an empire and that they want power. And once they're accepted into the Fremen culture, they use them from the inside to take back the power from the emperor, from Emperor Shaddam. Right. I don't think the Atreides are alone in this manipulation though. We talked about this earlier Papa Kynes had a huge role <laughs> yeah. to play in s- sort of setting the scene. Uh, the Bene Gesserit, again, we touched on it earlier. The Mercenaria Protectiva, huge part in setting the scene. I think they're all to blame. I think the Empire and everyone in it is to blame for the downfall of the Fremen. The Atreides played a huge part, but so did Kynes, so did the Empire, so did the Sardaukar, 
and so did the Benny Gesserit. Right, right. Do you agree with me? So, yes and no. Um, again, I don't think it's debatable whether or not the Freemen were manipulated. From the early days of the Zen Sunni being told this story of originating on this new planet by the, the Sayadina, manipulation is part of their history. Mm -hmm. And it's more so external, especially when Papa Kynes comes into the story. But yeah, I, there's no debating whether or not they've been manipulated. And especially in the moments where Paul and Jessica are first confronting Stilgar and his troop. That moment is so rich in manipulation. And, you know, we, we get Jessica's internal thoughts on almost cursing the brilliance of the Bene Gesserit planting these seeds, right? <laughs> allowing this manipulation, which is so vile and so gross to, to be so easy, right? You just say a couple of words and they all fall to their knees. Oh my God, I can't believe she knows the words. It's like, yeah, because my people invented those words to allow this to happen. <laughs> so that's, that's not debatable. I think when we start talking about intention... This is when I maybe start deviating a little bit from what you were saying. I don't think Paul... Paul Paul was using the Freeman to gain power, yes. But Paul also shows the intention of, I don't want this to happen. I don't want this to happen. Please, not this. Please, not this. The entire time. True. And he tries really desperately to escape his prescient vision of the jihad. Eventually, he recognizes the futility of fighting against his prescience and leans into it. And Leader the Second, especially, does a lot of things intentionally, you know. Doubles down. <laughs> he doubles down. But to be very clear, he doubles down in pursuit of the golden path. And as I read more of uh, Frank Herbert's writings and some of Brian Herbert's writings, I'm sure my, my my understanding of the golden path will change. Right. But when Jessica and Paul are initially manipulating the Fremen, it is, we need to survive the desert, and these people are the key to our survival. As Paul sees the vision of the jihad, he says, these Fremen are a part of that vision, and I do not have the ability to deviate from it, right? You know, even the, the possibility of him saying, guys, I'm not your messiah— he recognizes, if I said, I'm not your Messiah, he would be killed and the legend of Muad'Dib would continue <laughs> unchecked, right? And like, yes, eventually the lesser evil is to guide it as yeah. best he could. Like, you know, only kill 61 billion people. It could have been 60. It could have been 61 and one. It could have been, yeah, <laughs> that one dude. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, think you're, I think you're actually hitting on something here that I definitely glossed over. Paul, as our protagonist, does try to not do this, to his credit. Yeah. And there's just so many outside forces that force him to, right? There are things happening in the universe, and then, you know, I don't want to get into a whole thing about free will and his prescient visions. I'm sure we'll cover that in, a, in an episode, but right. I think you're totally right. I think Paul... Honestly, I think Jessica is a bit more devious in her manipulation. 100%, she is like, yeah. we can we can use the Fremen to for political gains. Paul's just like, 
he feels himself as more Fremen and wants to protect them or protect the universe and the galaxy based off of what he sees in his visions. I think he's... And he loves Shani. And he loves Shani. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I I think Paul is much more of a tragic figure and many of the decisions he had to make... Still not a hero. (laughs) Still still not a great guy, but... (laughs) Still not a hero, but I think he's a tragic figure in the sense that he... Yeah. He was guilt-ridden to his last days and he pretty much says as much to Stilgar right. and about the choices he was felt he was forced to make because of, because of the visions he had. So I, I agree with you that Paul is maybe somewhat absolved from the manipulation that, that people like Papa Kynes and Jessica went real hard in the paint on. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think part of it's perspective, because when I look at Leto II, every single decision he ever made from the moment of accepting his role in the golden path was a decision of manipulation. He was manipulating every single thing constantly. Yes. And manipulation was his method of shaping the future. So being like, did he manipulate the Fremen? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. And course, everyone yeah. else. And yeah, the, the Benny Tlalex and, 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 and the guild. And the, <laughs> and the wind <laughs> and the fucking birds. Like he, every single thing, you know? And so I think when we talk about, like, condemnable manipulation, yeah, I think Kynes, 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 Kynes the second, and Jessica really not loving it, but, you know, it it is what it is. And in the grand scheme of things, if, if, if what happened had to happen to ensure the long-term survival of humanity— it could just be another super sad story on this long path of complex morality, right? Yeah, and, and that's what we love. That's what we love about Dune, right? right. There, we are struggling to find an answer here because there's so many, <laughs> there's so many counterpoints to everything. <laughs> Fuck's the good guy. <laughs> Eight thousand pages into this story, and I still don't know who the protagonist is. <laughs> I guess it's Duncan. I mean, he keeps fucking Duncan. Making women come by climbing rocks. If that's not protagonist material, I don't know what the (laughs) fuck is. (laughs) Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic, so help spread the word of Muad'Dib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, he who controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the Golden Path. <laughs>